Thank you for choosing this podcast for the BJSM community. I'm Daniel Friedman, and today I'm very excited to be speaking with Kim Keedle about the physically demanding world of Formula One. Kim is a physiotherapist who currently works for the Haas F1 team, based in Geneva, and is getting ready for the start of the 2019 Formula One World Championship season. Kim, thank you for being on the podcast. No worries, Dan. Thanks a lot for having me. When we first met, I was really struck by your story and your pathway into Formula One, and also how relevant your work is for other clinicians who treat patients with neck and back pain. And I was hoping you could start by sharing a bit of your story with us today. Uh, I'm originally from uh, Melbourne in Australia. I graduated uh, with a Bachelor of Physios from the University of Melbourne at the end of uh, 2012 and then worked for about three years in Melbourne where I really got interested in sport and, and realized that that was the area that I that I wanted to work in as a, as a physiotherapist. I also completed a, a Master's of Sports Science, uh, majoring in Strength and Conditioning through Edith Cowan University. And then I moved over to the UK, as, as most young Australians do, to see the world and to broaden my experience. So I was working at the University of Leeds, um, overseeing their sports program and then uh, an opportunity came up to, to work in Formula One at Haas Formula One team, uh, which I which I jumped at. There was a couple of things that really intrigued me about it: the the nature of the sport. It's a it's a global a global sport with a with a big following, and there was also a sport that I didn't really know a lot about um, in terms of the the physical demands and also the the skill level that the drivers had to have. So yeah, that was it was very intriguing for me, um, and it's an opportunity that I've really enjoyed. What are your roles as a physiotherapist or high-performance coach for the team? I've been at Haas Formula One. This will be my third season now. So I worked for the team in the first uh, year and a half. Within that, I was providing physiotherapy services to the team, as well as also trying to develop and implement a, a high-performance program. So uh, that was encompassing um, nutrition. Uh, that was encompassing education around jet lag, general health and well-being. At their factory, their head office in the UK, um, we built a 50,000-pound gym to improve the, the fitness and, and health and well-being of, of the team. And, yes, yeah, so uh, for the last year, I've been working more exclusively with a single Formula One driver. Uh, now I'm living in Geneva where, where he lives. And sort of my role for him as a physiotherapist is obviously to provide physiotherapy interventions when he needs them. Um, we also take care of his physical preparation outside of the track um, before we get to race weekends. And then I attend every race with him throughout the season, take care of any niggles that he has and make sure that he's ready to get in the car and perform on a Sunday. So in terms of the broader medical team, there's myself. He has another coach that lives in Geneva as well, who I work very closely with. And he's got an endurance sports background. So he's a keen triathlete and, and has done a few Ironman. So he's very good at programming uh, aerobic conditioning. Um, so we work very closely with him. There's also then a, a doctor within the team that uh, travels to all the races and is on call when we need him for any uh, sort of major medical needs. And then my driver himself also has a sports psychologist uh, that he's in contact with regularly, um, a nutritionist that we liaise with quite often to make sure that his nutrition plan is in order. And then we, we also travel with chefs. So I, I work quite closely with the chefs to make sure that we're delivering the, the nutrition that he needs whilst at the track. Auto racing is one of the largest spectator sports in the world, with a global viewing audience comparable to that of football. But it seems there is little literature on performance and injuries in your area. And so I'd like to change gears for a second and talk about the physical and mental demands of Formula One and some of the common injuries that you encounter. 
Yeah, sure. I think you're absolutely right. Formula One spent a lot of time really focusing their attention on the car to make a car that's as, as quick as possible. And within that, you know, on our cars, our engineers are measuring 10,000 channels of data at any given time to to monitor the performance of the car and, and make sure that it's working at 100%. But on the other hand, the human performance side has been left behind and there's been very little research in what in, into what is required to be a successful Formula One driver and the physiological and physical needs that are required. From what I've seen whilst working in the sport, there's been a, a, a historical belief that you need a, a really strong cardiovascular system and a high level of cardiovascular fitness to, to drive Formula One. And I think that's been driven by people like Mark Weber and Jensen Button, who have been very public in their in their enjoyment of, of triathlon and Ironmans and these long-distance endurance sports. And that's really shaped the way that Formula One drivers have trained uh, predominantly. Um, I think there's also been a belief that, that cardiovascular fitness is important because most races go for about two hours. And, and naturally, you think that that's a very um, aerobic dominance uh, energy supply. Now, don't get me wrong, there is definitely a cardiovascular component that is important in Formula One. These guys are often exposed to extreme heats within the cockpit. So co the cockpit temperature can often reach, um, you know, 50 degrees uh, and they're sitting there in a full race suit and a, and a full helmet. Yeah, so the governing body um, has some issues with, with gathering heart rate data and there's some work going into this where in the next couple of years we'll have more concrete heart rate data. But we've done a little bit of testing and predominantly my driver sits at around 120 to 130 bits per minute whilst driving the car. And he spikes up to around 160, maybe 170 when he's overtaking or in a really defensive position where he's defending from a, a driver behind. So look, for me, yes, he's got some raised cardiovascular effort, but I think that's pretty sub-maximal. So I don't think that that's a major, a major factor um, in Formula One performance. And we know when drivers get out of the car, they're never under extreme sort of cardiovascular stress. You know, they're, they're, they can talk easily. They don't have any breathlessness. So I think that historically, maybe we've been looking in the wrong area to some extent. But what we do know is that drivers have to withstand you know, extreme and prolonged G-forces whilst driving. So for those that don't understand what a G-force is, it's, it's the gravitational force where one G is, is equivalent to sort of one times your body weight while you're, whilst you're standing at sea level, if that makes sense. So um, two Gs is, is two times your body weight, three Gs is three times your body weight and so on. Uh, these drivers are often, often experiencing you know, five to six Gs whilst driving, so whilst braking and whilst turning corners, and they need to be able to withstand that um, to be able to drive successfully and, and to be able to do that over 50 or 60 laps or however long the race may be. So um, if that was you or me and we were trying to drive a Formula One car, we would really struggle to withstand those G-forces and, and we'd probably be getting thrown around like a rag doll. Do those forces depend on the particular type of track or the route that the drivers are taking? Yeah, absolutely. So there's some uh, tracks that are specifically known for being a, a high G-force track, um, if we can call it that. One, one track that I find very interesting is Japan, which is a very technical and a very fast track with some heavy braking and some very high-speed corners. And a lot of the drivers love that track. It's probably their favorite track to drive, to be honest. Um, but from the, the data that our engineers collect, for more than 40% of the lap, they're withstanding more than three Gs of lateral force, which is going through their body. So that equates to about 32 minutes throughout the race that they're withstanding more than three times body weight going through their body. 
Can you put that into perspective for us who aren't so familiar with G-forces? What does that mean in more concrete terms? Um, if we think about the average human head is roughly five kilograms and a helmet that the driver will wear is two kilograms, so seven kilograms in total. So when they're withstanding more than three Gs of force, they're withstanding more than 21 kilograms of force going through that, uh, going through the head and the neck. So he has 21 kilos of force going through his head or neck for at least 32 minutes of the race. And how important then is neck and trunk strength within Formula One racing? Very much so. We spend a lot of time, particularly in the off-season, um, trying to strengthen those areas up as much as possible so that when he gets in the car, uh, come the start of the season, he's, um, he's robust and able to withstand those forces. Previously, one, one incident that occurred last year was uh, in Barcelona. Uh, at the start of the race, my driver spun the car, actually, and ended up crashing into oncoming traffic. Through the car at that stage, uh, he had to withstand 13 Gs of instantaneous force. So that's quite a big force going through the body. And as you can imagine, that's quite a lot of force going through the head and neck. So if it was you and me, I think it would be like us being in the ring with Mike Tyson, you know, uh, the, the head would be flying around. So we need to make sure that his, his neck, back trunk are strong enough to be able to deal with those sorts of forces. I mean, we hope that he doesn't get into those situations, but the reality of sport is that, that sometimes uh, sometimes we do. Can we focus on this particular incident? What was your role once that happened? Can you talk us through what did happen next? Yeah, sure. So anytime there's a crash as big as that, then there's a medical car at the circuit, um, which will attend to the driver and, and make sure he's okay. He then got escorted to the medical center uh, where he was under observations for 15 minutes, um, went through some concussion testing, checked for any acute fractures. Um, and then once that's all cleared, then I'll do, a, I'll do a musculoskeletal assessment over him, focusing on his neck um, and any other areas that, that may have been uh, impacted within the crash. So in this particular crash, uh, luckily there was no major injuries. Naturally, he had some neck stiffness and soreness. Uh, so we treated that appropriately over the next couple of days and then implemented some some neck load, loading just to make sure that there was no neuromuscular inhibition um, and to make sure that he was ready for the next week of racing. Another, just on that, another sort of idiosyncrasy of the sport is drivers use their right right leg to accelerate on the throttle and then their left leg for braking. Now, in a Formula One car, very different to a, a car that you and me would drive. The braking is very, very heavy and requires a lot of force to be put through the, the brake pedal in order to achieve optimal braking. So um, I'll give you another, another example of a track which is, is quite taxing for them. So in Monza, in Italy, they are required to brake from 340 kilometers an hour down to 97 kilometers an hour in about 2.3 seconds. Um, so that gives them six Gs of braking force. Um, and they're required to push 78 kilograms of force into the brake pedal in order to achieve that braking. So that's a 53-lap race. So they're pushing 78 kilos of force into the brake pedal 53 times throughout the race, which is quite taxing for their left gastrocoeus complex. And often we'll see with drivers is that they have some, some mild hypertrophy through that side compared to their right side. Kim, can you talk us through the mental side of Formula One driving? You've explained that these drivers are in extremely taxing conditions for over an hour at a time. And so how does this play upon their mind? Yeah, obviously, I focus quite a lot on the physical side of, of uh, driving. But there's no doubt that there's a, a massive mental component of driving as well. So within a race, I mean, uh, you know, there's 20 cars 
So you've got 19 other cars around you that, that you need to react to within seconds to make sure that you're, you're not involved in the collision. You know, these guys are traveling at speeds up to 340 kilometers an hour. They're communicating to their engineers through the radio. Uh, they're getting instructions from their engineers to change a setting on the car. And they're doing that up to 10 times per lap throughout the race. So, you know, my driver's required to memorize 20 to 30 different commands that he needs to change on his steering wheel to, to affect the settings of the car to make sure that he's driving as fast as possible. So I, uh, I, I struggle to, to do two things at once, let alone drive a car at 340 kilometers an hour and, and then change toggles on a steering wheel to make sure that the car's performing a, a, an optimal performance. You mentioned before about doing neck and trunk strengthening work. And I was hoping you could share with our listeners some examples of exercises or parts of your cervical loading program that you'll program for your driver. Yeah, sure, absolutely. So there's been a couple of uh, rule changes that have occurred since the end of last season to this season, which has impacted the way that we've trained slightly and and the goals of, of what we're trying to achieve um, within physical preparation. So um, last year, the drivers had to be as light as possible, um, similar to the way that a jockey is quite light, um, not as extreme as that, but you get the concept. Um, this year, there's been some rule changes where every driver needs to weigh 80 kilograms. If the driver is less than that, then you have to put ballast in the car so that it's a standardized 80 kilograms across the paddock. So um, that's given us a little bit of luxury to, to put some muscle on um, and to gain a little bit of weight which has really helped in terms of, you know, enduring the physical demands of the sport. So one of our goals in particular this, this off-season has been a, a strength endurance or a, a hypertrophy goal, so trying to put some weight on. We've also really been focusing on improving his uh, neck endurance and also his, his maximal neck strength as well um, so that he can cope with the, the demands of the season. In, in regards to specific neck strengthening modalities we use, um, we have a modified neck harness um, that can be uh, attached to a cable machine and we can load up quite heavy, um, allowing us to focusing on, uh, focus on cervical extension, actual flexions and rotations, which are very specific to Formula One driving. Um, and we can load that quite heavy in a very safe and controlled uh, manner to get load through the cervical spine. Um, one which is also, I guess, quite unique to driving is we have a, a helmet, um, which is weighted at eight, eight kilos of weight, and he'll put that on uh, and and then we'll perform... Uh, various exercises uh, we might do um, a session of sit-ups we might do some planking we might do some back extensions with the helmet on to allow him to really you know hold that head in an isometric manner um, whilst performing other exercises so i must tell you i i put that helmet on probably during the middle of last year and tried doing some sit-ups and i couldn't even lift my head off the ground kim as you know we here at bjsm pride ourselves on supporting up-and-coming clinicians like yourself so i was wondering what advice do you have for other young physios trying to make it in this field or in any other high performance domain you know regardless of whether you're a physio or or a medic or any any other health professional my advice would be that you know in general is is keep it up in mind I never expected to be uh, working in Formula One and the opportunity presented and, and I jumped on it and I've really enjoyed my time in it and I've learned a lot whilst working in it. So I think, you know, keep an open mind and, and you know, opportunities will present themselves firstly. You know, secondly, I think in, in regards to Formula One in particular, you know, the human performance side over the next five to 10 years is, is, is going to continue to grow and, and become um, more developed with medical, with physio, with nutrition. So I think that's a really exciting opportunity for for young practitioners to to, to perhaps get involved. Sorry. And then lastly, I think uh, you know 
continue to learn and continue to learn things that you're interested in. So, you know, I had an interest in, in strength and conditioning and, and I think that that's added a really nice tool to, to my physiotherapy practice. Um, but, you, you know, your, your interest might be in nutrition or in, in psychological performance. And, you know, I think that if you have an understanding of, of these other fields, it, it really helps you, um, you know, work within the multidisciplinary team and, and you can offer something really meaningful to, to sports athletes. Well, Kim, I think that's a great place to end it. But before you go, if our listeners would like to follow what you're up to or learn more about sports and exercise medicine in auto racing, where should they go? Yeah, so unfortunately, I'm not an uh, avid user of Twitter, so I'm probably not much help there. But if there's any young practitioners or, or anyone actually that, that has any questions or would like some more information, I'm more than happy to be emailed. So um, I can give that to you guys to put in the link or it's kkeedle at gmail.com. Kim, thank you for sharing your story with us today and giving us a glimpse into the world of Formula One racing. All the best for the 2019 season. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate it. You've been listening to a BJSM podcast with Kim Keedle. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with friends or leave us a comment and connect to our social media channels. You can also follow all things BJSM via our app, where you can find more podcasts, our latest articles, and other content. As always, we hope you have a physically active day.